When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Miranda, the fuck is this? Hi, I'm Madison Malone Kircher. And I'm Rachel Hampton, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. So, last week, while uh, many of our feeds, mine, Rachel's, probably yours, were full of West Elm Caleb, there was actually another big piece of news that hit. Honestly, it might have been bigger than West Elm Caleb. The M&Ms are getting a makeover. More specifically, the female M&Ms are getting a makeover. Lady M&Ms looking different for 2022. The uh, green M&M no longer has those uh, knee-high go-go boots. The brown M&M's high heels are shorter. Feminism. Girl bossing? Gatekeeping? Girl boss. (laughs) Gaslight. (laughs) The uh, corporate machine that is the Mars Corporation that owns M&M's announced the changes as a move focused on, quote, creating a world where everyone feels they belong and society is inclusive. You're going to see our brand evolve in its look and feel to reflect a dynamic and dynamic and progressive world that we're living in. For example, cool, great. Um, I love when uh, the mascot for capitalism is also inclusive. Mm, Same. (laughs) <laughs> Not, I mean, I love it because of the memes, because the rebrand inspired this entire wave of memes, my favorite of which went something like, the green M&M used to be a thought, and <laughs> why are we de the green M&M? Which is true. Society is inclusive of sluts and thoughts. What is a society without a thought? It's true. I can't believe they made the green M&M 50% less fuckable. How dare they make this animated candy less hot? So all of these words leaving our mouths sound insane. (laughs) They sound about as insane as that time that uh, movie critic was uh, really horned up for Mrs. Incredible. Uh, (laughs) However, as the internet does, there was genuine outrage from people who are mad that they can't be horned up for candy anymore like... Mm, one Tucker Carlson. M&M's will not be satisfied until every last cartoon character is deeply unappealing and totally androgynous. Until the moment you wouldn't want to have a drink with any one of them. That's the goal. When you're totally turned off, we've achieved equity. They've won. Okay, once again, I must note that that is not satire. That is a real news clip (laughs) from a real news program that ran, really, in this country. Well, technically, according to the law, Tucker Carlson is not a news program. This was deduced in a court of law that no one should look to him for actual news. And that's why he sounds absolutely unhinged talking about how he should be attracted to a piece of anthropomorphic chocolate. Does it make you not want to eat M&Ms? Because at the end of the day, that's the whole point where I didn't understand that we were supposed to want to get drunk with the Mm M&Ms when they were sexy. (laughs) I thought we Mm -hmm. were still just supposed to want to eat them. You're just going to have to find other porn on the internet. (laughs) 
like y'all you can just watch hentai it's available wow wow this we are off the rails it is like (laughs) minutes into the show today rachel we are not off the rails this is what we've been describing the entire time what are you even talking about (laughs) you know that's exactly what we're talking about and we're we're shitting and giggling over here, but it's all fun and games over here until you realize that the real thing we should be talking about instead of the fact that the green M&M is no longer a thought is that the company that owns M&M's um, perhaps traffics in child labor? Last year, a group attempted to bring a child slavery lawsuit against Mars, Nestle, and Hershey because of the unethical cocoa harvesting practices these companies use. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court didn't let that suit go forward because the crimes happened outside of the purview of the court, so happened outside of the U.S. But uh, it doesn't mean that the uh, desexified M&Ms are any more ethical than they were last year. All right, well, that's all the time we have for bottom-tier chocolate, because on the show today, we're going to be talking about Bruno. No, 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 no. Rachel, Rachel, we don't talk about him. I'm sorry, but we must. We have to talk about him. More specifically, we have to talk about why we don't talk about him. Or why we don't talk about Bruno is the biggest song from Disney in its long, long history. Just about. We'll be discussing Encanto, how this song shot up the music charts because of TikTok, and our favorite topic, the internet's feelings about lyricist, composer, and eternal meme, Lin-Manuel Miranda. I know you can't see it, but know that I am biting my bottom lip. <laughs> we'll be back with all that after a quick break. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. And we're back talking about the music charts, which is. A first for us, I think. We Don't Talk About Bruno has hit number two on the Billboard Hot 100 for the week and is the currently uh, the top song on pretty much every streaming platform you could name. At this point, it's basically shoved Frozen into a deep ice-covered ditch. Full-on, dropped shoulder, body-checked, let it go, out of here. Mm-hmm. They're all just belting about Bruno. The song is now so big, it's actually the second highest-ranking Disney song from an animated film of all time. Bruno is only beat out by the Peebo Bryson and Regina Bell cover of A Whole New World from Aladdin, which uh, hit the number one spot for a week in March Oh, no, 
Okay, honestly, that song is, in Rachel parlance, an absolute banger. The reason Bruno is topping the charts right now, at least in part, is TikTok. Ever since TikTok started being included in the Billboard Hot 100 chart calculations, it's um, pretty much got a stranglehold on those numbers. It's taking unsuspecting songs like We Don't Talk About Bruno straight to the top. It's also led another Encanto song uh, up the charts as well, Under Pressure, which I would argue even more of a banger. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Without a doubt. We're in agreement. There's no, that's not a hot take here. (laughs) My lukewarm take. Uh, And that song is currently ranked at number 10. It's funny listening to that song as opposed to the first few listens to We Don't Talk About Bruno. Like, that feels so poppy. Like, there's Mm -hmm. a melody I can hum, I can dance to, I'm, you know, I'm popping body parts too. Yeah, and in the actual movie during that scene, Louisa, who is the person singing it, has a dance break during the poppiest part of the song, which feels like it was tailor-made for TikTok, which is what makes it shocking that we don't talk about Bruno is what managed to catch TikTok's ear. And to be clear, this isn't just my opinion or Rachel's opinion. This song literally isn't eligible at the Oscars because Disney opted to submit other songs from the movie. (laughs) So both of these songs that are blowing up on TikTok come from the movie Encanto, as we mentioned. It's a very sweet story about a family who lives in a magical house in Colombia that bestows a special power to each member of the family. Except for Mirabelle, our main character, who's a special uh, unspecialness. She never gets a power, uncovers a painful past that the uh, family would rather not dwell on. I feel like we have to say at this point that it's not the best Disney musical. Visually stunning, I will say that. But from a music perspective, I don't even think it's Lynn's best Disney movie. Hello, Moana. You perfect, perfect thing, you. Uh, It is, however, can we agree, let's say a beautiful story, a resonant story about how generational trauma and what your family expects of you can ultimately undermine your family. And I think that really comes out in the second song we've mentioned that's gone viral, which is Under Pressure, which is sung by Louisa, who's the oldest daughter. And it's about that experience of being the oldest daughter of an immigrant family and how the kind of pressure of being a third parent in a way falls on her shoulders. That's definitely true. And I think something we're also seeing with We Don't Talk About Bruno is that this is a story that touches a lot of people globally. The song has actually been translated into 20-some languages. Oh, damn. But I would say that is not the reason TikTok has latched onto it. Frankly, the plot has very little to do with TikTok latching onto it, (laughs) I think. TikTok doesn't ever give a fuck about the plot. They continually lose the plot. The thing that TikTok latches onto is any kind of musical. TikTok, like me, loves a musical. I feel like you have to explain as the theater kid what exactly it is about We Don't Talk About Bruno and the way it kind of just nestles into your brain because this feels 
right up your little theater kid alley. I'm not saying I've been training for this my whole life, but I've definitely been training for it since the day in the sixth grade when my music teacher wheeled out the AV cart and said, we're going to watch West Side Story today. I don't want to teach. That feels like a, as the kids say, a core memory for you. Yeah, it was like the best day of my life. But that actually does connect here because we don't talk about Bruno. It's when you listen to it the first time, you'll hear it's all of these seemingly different melodies as each member of the family sings or raps or whispers about why they don't talk about Bruno. And when they all click together at the end and form one polyphony, if you will, mega melody, if you will not. Oh, a what? How all of those lines suddenly fit together and become No, what's the word you just used? Don't try to play me. (laughs) Polyphony. Yeah, okay, you nerd. Keep going. (laughs) But it's really satisfying. Like, what you described is, like, feeling that sit into your brain because whether or not you realize it, your brain does understand and hear all of those disparate lines then happening simultaneously and working together perfectly. Oh, Rachel, we've already Mm -hmm. outed you as a lame as Stan many an episode ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... You know that feeling you get, the choked up feeling in your throat at the end of One Day More when they're all together? What you gonna make? One more day to revolution. Oh my God. All on my own. That, yes. that moment, that was, that's same uh, thing. Honestly, even your bad rendition of that made me feel some things. Right. It's that except not the French Revolution familial drama in a magical hamlet in the mountains of Colombia. In case your brain is also like mine and uh, this geeky portion of events is the most satisfying element of this trend there's actually a great piece on slate.com you can read all about why on a uh, note to note level this song just sticks in your brain and we'll be sure to link that in the show notes and that feeling that madison's describing of nestling into your brain and just staying there it makes you want to come back again and again and again and just keep listening to this song thus the charts Not to sound like a broken record, but also I feel like we do need to point out that TikTok's obsession with musicals, it isn't just limited to interpretations of existing art. It's uh, also a platform that has generated at least two crowdsourced musicals. So we saw that last year with the Ratatouille musical. Anyone can cook. You could even write a book. It could sit right next to mine there on the shelf. There was also the now Grammy-nominated, yes, truly, the real the real Grammys, capital G, trademarked, musical based on Bridgerton. Those are crowdsourced musicals. But if it's a musical written by a certified MacArthur genius, Lin-Manuel Miranda, TikTok can't help but just sink their little fingers into it and play it so many goddamn times, you'll beg for relief. After the break, we'll be talking about why TikTokers are so obsessed with these musicals, even if they can't stand the person who created them, and uh, why he's just such an easy target for the internet. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. 
I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Hi, listeners. If y'all love our show and want to support our journalism, please consider subscribing to Slate Plus. Not only is it only $1 for the first month, it means no ads on any Slate podcast, including this one, unlimited reading on the Slate website, access to every article and advice column on Slate, and you will never, ever hit a paywall. You'll also get bonus segments or episodes from some of Slate's incredible shows like Slow Burn, Political Gap Fest, Big Moon, Little Moon, and Amicus. To subscribe, go to slate.com slash ICYMI+. All right, we are back with the corny man himself, the king of corn, corn on the cob, <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda. Okay, that was corny. I Have you met me? Yes. Yes, I have. But I still feel I need to tell you. Just like the teens feel the need to tell Lynn. Every single day of his life that they hate him. <laughs> Honestly, brutal. If you Google truly just the phrase Lin-Manuel Miranda, TikTok, and teens, you'll find at least a half dozen articles from the last two years about all the times TikTokers have voiced their anti-LMM sentiments. It's like an MLM, but it's it's Lin. LM squared. Oh my God, wait, No. It's L M and M. No. <laughs> no one else is bold enough to say it, so I will. The reason why so many people on this app can do flawless Lin Manuel Miranda impressions is because Lin Manuel Miranda sings like he is doing a Lin Manuel Miranda impression. Does that make sense? Also, I am not wrong. If Lin Manuel Miranda sang M and M. I'm Slim Shady. Yes, I'm the real Shady. All these other Slim Shadies are just imitating. So- See, Lynn Eminem, what did I tell you? Oh my God. I mean, I think what a lot of these (laughs) TikTokers are getting at is A, Lynn has a very distinctive voice and a very distinctive singing voice. And he's also, and I feel like this is not rude to say, not the best singer when you think about Broadway actors. If Lynn had not ridden Hamilton in the Heights himself, Nobody would have cast him as the lead in those plays. Yeah, I think that's that's correct. I don't think that's a dangerous take in 2022. But the thing that I'm laughing at 
Even more than those impressions, which were good. I'm not going to lie. It's <laughs> funny to me because like, and I'm about to sound so old, but like the kids can't stand the guy, but who are they making all this content about? They can't get enough. And I feel like this really brings up the point. I've been saying this for, I think, at least two years at this point. But if TikTok had been a thing when Hamilton fever was at its height, that shit would have been all over our FYPs. We don't talk about Alexander Hamilton. We don't talk about Hamilton. See, I feel like the fact that both of us were just absolutely grooving to that, just, it proves that we, we are the target audience for Lynn, but so is TikTok. It makes sense. I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda is one of the biggest lyricists and composers of our time. His songs also, though, they have a familiarity to them which influences how much you like them from the jump because of how much they owe to musicals and composers that came before. So like Stephen Sondheim or Jonathan Larson or Jason Robert Brown for that one very specific moment in Hamilton. If you know, you know. Um, And that's sort of a funny thing because TikTokers have pointed out how a lot, if not all of his songs, have really similar vibes and sounds. We really let Lynn write the same number for like the act one finale in everything that he does we let that happen basically what these tiktoks are saying is uh there's a reason we've been listening to we don't talk about bruno nonstop. but what's fascinating to me is that people aren't pointing this out to be like wow musicals really all have a formula don't they they're pointing it out as if Lynn has somehow gotten one over on us. And I think the reason is, one, people don't understand musicals. Me, I just asked Madison. And two, like, Encanto is not Lynn's best work. The issue is not the formula. The issue is just that Lynn needs to take a break. It's true, though. Musicals are kind of an incredible grift. If you can write one that works, you can write six more. It's like the true embodiment of it ain't broke, don't fix it. But then why exactly does the internet hate him so much, even though they clearly love his songs? I've been thinking a lot about this as somebody who has been on the uh, the Ferris wheel roller coaster that is being a fan for many years. You know, like mm-hmm. there have been high points. There have been low points. Yeah. And I've landed on, I think it's his accessibility. He's one of those Ooh. celebrities who at least in the very early years of his fame, decreasingly so over the years, tried really hard to maintain Mm -hmm. his relatability and kept up these very organic, like I'm a human, not a person managed by a team sort of social media profiles, which almost backfires because it makes something that was probably genuinely him feel like a shtick, feel like an act. Yeah, I think, you're, that is exactly correct. There was this moment when Hamilton was at Richard Rogers Theater and he was doing these street shows. Do you remember that? They would go viral on Ham YouTube for Ham. and TikTok. I loved Ham for Ham. Exactly. And everyone loved that because of how directly he would engage with his audience. And then as he left Hamilton and his star started rising, he attempted to maintain that level of interplay with his audience. He would do, do you remember the good morning and good night tweets he would do? Yes. And I like, that's what I'm saying. I think those, I I do not know the man, but like, I imagine in my head that like, 
those felt very genuine yeah. and true to who he is, which is like walking dad joke. Yes. But it feels so calculating on the other end. It just feels so like, ugh, this is a this is a bit. You're doing a shtick. I mean, he's a consummate theater kid, and we all know how we feel about theater kids. <laughs> just a sentient newsies cap. L- quite literally. He also, I actually think this is where he fucked up. He keeps casting himself in things. I think that had he not been the lead in Hamilton, his trajectory on the internet would be so much different. There was just this point at which there was this oversaturation of Lynn content. Like, you can't hate Stephen Sondheim because you don't really know what he sounds like. You can't do an impression Uh, of Stephen Sondheim. I mean, someone could, but the average TikTok teen can't because the average TikTok teen doesn't know what Stephen Sondheim sounds like. But I know exactly what Lynn sounds like. And I think that's why he started to step away from his own spotlight. He doesn't, he doesn't post on Twitter nearly as often. He was one of the most extremely online people of the Trump administration. It was no, wild. And he now signs his tweets. So like oh, mm-hmm. when you get a tweet that is from him truly, it'll have the initials sort of like, I think Hillary Clinton used to do that. Maybe still does with their <laughs> tweets. Uh, a, a comparison that perhaps illustrates too much. I think the wall that TikTok is running up against with with Lynn, though, is that all these things we're describing, the tweets, the casting yourself and stuff, the, like, busting out the microphone on the street to put on a spot show before the show you wrote, he, he is the manifestation of what makes musicals catchy, which is corniness. Yes. There is no way to earnestly sing about heartbreak, being a founding father, whatever the fuck, revolution, without being deeply, deeply corny. And that's what makes musicals so great. But people don't want to admit that they're corny. And they should. Because all of us have a little kernel of corniness inside of us. And we should let it grow. And that's the thing that makes me laugh most of all here is, do you know where that uh, that corny kernel is a, is a poppin'? TikTok. Yes. Being <laughs> corny is like a rocket to TikTok virality. Earnestness is an entire freaking genre. Like, I, lest we forget the time we were all obsessed with a pug that had bones or maybe didn't have bones. That's the question that made us so obsessed. But no, the, the things that are easy routes to TikTok fame, which is thirst traps, dancing badly, or acting to a camera with no one else in the room, corny. Corny as shit. Sometimes I can't watch these vi- acting POVs. They make me want to cringe out of my skin. And yet, so many people just get famous off of them. And I don't fault them for it, but they should know what's corny. You're sending me an acting reel. Yes, those are the three categories. And the fourth one we won't mention, which is uh, murder content. Uh, <laughs> not corny. But those other three, decidedly corny. As are Rachel and I, as are many a teen, and I think we'd all be having a better time online if we all just uh, embraced the corn, leaned into it. Corn is love. Corn is life. All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode. It is still free. I know. Shocking. Maybe one day we'll charge for it, but that day is not today. So hit the subscribe button. Or do what my friend did, which is drunkenly take your friend's phone. 
subscribe to ICYMI from their phone. We love that. We also love when you follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter is at ICYMI underscore pod. You can also always email us, ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader. Our supervising producer is Derek John. We're edited by Forrest Wickman and Allegra Frank. Amber Smith is senior manager of podcast audience development. Alicia Montgomery is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. And Bruno, we don't talk about him. See you online. Or in the casita. And that, that's the other part of this that makes me laugh so much is, do you know where that Kearney Cornell Corny Colonel? Corny Colonel? <laughs> Corny Colonel. <laughs>